our journey through Ecclesiastes. And um, for visitors, uh, for folks who've been out of town or folks who've been asleep the last three Sundays, um, that's what we're in. That that journey with Ecclesiastes, um, it's part of the the wisdom literature of the Bible that, that gives us not necessarily commands or not necessarily history, but, but gives us general guidance and truth, guidelines that we apply in different ways um, throughout our, our life. And um, today, what we just sang is really what the, the writer is going to be talking about, our, our unity in Christ. Um, and, and the need that we have for one another. And in, if you read through Ecclesiastes, uh, what you'll find is that he's looking. I mean, he's sort of a cynic. You know, he's looking at life around him. You know, everything that's under the sun. A common phrase is that he uses. And he says when he looks around at everything under the sun, he finds the word in, in our the Pew Bible here is, he says it's vanity. And what vanity means, it's smoke. It's another word for smoke. So it's like, it's there, you can see it, but it's really empty. There's nothing of substance there. So really, as you read it, you'll, you'll get depressed when you read Ecclesiastes, because that's what he's doing. He's looking around, saying, there's really nothing of meaning and purpose in this life. It's just a rat race. We're just on a gerbil wheel. He doesn't use those words, uh, but that's sort of what he's saying. And today, though, it's one of the few times that he highlights something that he sees that has meaning. This is a place where we find meaning. This is a place where it, it isn't vanity, but it has meaning for our lives. And that is our relationships with one another. His, to summarize in a phrase, our title, you know, don't go alone in life. Don't go alone. We need one another. Um, you may remember this was, oh, 12, yeah, 2003. Um, uh, a guy named Aaron Ralston decided that he was going to go uh, mountain climbing and hiking um, in the... Uh, um, Canyon in Utah, the uh, the Blue John Canyon. Anybody been in Blue John Canyon here? Nobody. See, very few people go to the Blue John Canyon. Very isolated place. And and Aaron found a slot canyon in there. Slot canyons are like you know they're this one was like twenty thirty feet deep. It's like a crack in a rock um, or between two rocks. And and you you can traverse through the slot canyon. It's you know, sometimes it's narrow, sometimes it's rather wide, but you're able to traverse through this canyon from the top to the bottom and get on the ground and then walk through the rock. Well, he was on his way through this slot canyon, and as he's waking, making his way through, a boulder, which they later find out weighs 800 pounds, it dislodges, and it comes crashing down on him on his hand, and it pins his hand against the wall in the middle of this slot canyon. So he's sort of stuck there. Nobody was with him. He hadn't told anybody where he went. He had a cell phone that did him absolutely no good, except that he could record videos of himself saying goodbye to his family. 
Because he sat there for two, three days trying to chisel his way out with his pocket, one pocket knife that he had, chiseling his way out, break, taking, breaking that 800-pound boulder or the side of the rock uh, that somehow he could maybe ease his hand through. Didn't work. Fourth day, he, he, only had, he had almost finished. He had 12 ounces of water and two burritos, and that was all that he had to drink and to eat, so he tried to carry that through those four days. And, and so by the fourth day, he's dehydrated, starting to hallucinate. He realizes he's going to have to amputate his hand. So he takes his pocket knife, and it takes him a day to do that. Yeah, so he makes tourniquets, but that releases him. And then he is able to get out. He then one-handed, not just one-handed, but with one hand with these makeshift tourniquets, he's able to rappel down 65 feet, and then a family comes upon him because he still has eight miles to get to his car. And they help him out and carry him to safety. You may have seen the movie. It's called 127 Hours. It was about five years ago. That tells the story of why. Don't go alone. If he just read Proverbs, if he just read Ecclesiastes right there, he'd see we don't go alone. That we are created to be in relationship with one another. That, that people, our relationships with one another, that, that people are more important than our goals. So often, as we'll see, we can use people to meet our goals. In God's kingdom, people are the goals. How, how we relate to one another, how we grow in our relationship with one another, how we need one another you know, on this journey. There are... This, this I know for sure is in heaven. God and people. I'm not so sure about you know, if there will be jewels there or not. I'm not sure if the roads are paved with gold or not. They might be. There's a hope. But I know that God and people are going to be there. So they must be of the highest importance. The things that we pour our time and energy into, this building, it's not going to be in heaven. There's not going to be anything with any kind of label, College Hill Presbyterian Church. There's not going to be anything with, with labels of, in terms of the, the good things that you give yourself to. Matter of fact, we won't even have last names. Because we'll all be in the same family of Christ. That's what Ecclesiastes sees as he looks around and says, people are important, of the greatest importance, and we need one another. All right, Ecclesiastes chapter 4. It's found on page 538 in your pew Bible. Uh, we'll start with uh, verse 4, and uh, he'll, he'll start negative. He'll start to see how what he sees is how people um, don't work together and uh, how they compete with each other, envy one another, instead of working together. And then he'll turn positive in the positive things that he sees. Now let's pray together. Gracious God, your spirit speak through your written word. Uh, speak to us that, that we would hear uh, from you, that we would apply it in our lives, we would understand it in ways that apply for us as a community and in our own in our own lives of what 
does bring meaning and purpose in your created order. In the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. Alright, start with verse 4 of Ecclesiastes chapter 4. Then I saw that all toil and all skill and work come from one person's envy of another. This also is vanity and a chasing after wind. Fools fold their hands and consume their own flesh. Better is a handful with quiet than two handfuls with toil in a chasing after wind. Again, I saw vanity under the sun. The case of solitary individuals without sons or brothers, yet there is no end to all their toil and their eyes are never satisfied with riches. For whom am I toiling, they ask, and depriving myself of pleasure? This also is vanity in an unhappy business. Now he turns to the positive. Two are better than one because they have good reward for their toil. For if they fail, one will, or if they fall, one will lift up the other. But woe to one who is alone and falls and does not have another to help. Again, if two lie together, they keep warm. But how can one keep warm alone? And though one might prevail against another, two will withstand one. A threefold cord is not quickly broken. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So you see, first he, he's continuing down this track of, of just seeing what is meaningless, you know, what is vanity, what is you know, like the wind. And he, he's, what people are doing, they're motivated by envy, by, by jealousy. They're comparing themselves to others. They're, they're using others in order to, to achieve what they want. It, it's, it's only competition and not cooperation and and you'll see that actually if you read the end of chapter three and even the beginning of chapter four you see it over and over again he just sees the different way that people use people instead of cooperate instead of work together and he says it's makes no sense it's meaningless and then in the next uh, part of the um, uh, first part uh, verse uh, seven he talks about and then they isolate themselves It's just solitary individuals working for their own pleasures. And there's just toiling for themselves, and it's meaningless. Just on the gerbil wheel for themselves. And and we know that this kind of isolation, this working alone, being alone, actually is not only spiritually dangerous, but physically unhealthy. If we are chronically isolated from others, if we uh, live uh, alone and don't engage with others, it has negative effects on our physical health. Um, Interesting book by a guy named Michael Bond, The Power of Others. Not uh, that I know of of a um, Christian, but really interesting social psychology. And talks about the studies that have shown those that are chronically living alone, those that are chronically isolate themselves from others, they have higher blood pressure, they're more vulnerable to infection, they're more likely to develop Alzheimer's disease and dementia. That, uh, to isolate yourself from others, to, to just be alone, uh, causes your sleep patterns 
to uh, be disordered. Your, your attention and your logical and verbal reasoning, it, it doesn't function as well. We, our immune system is depleted by being alone and isolating ourselves from others. It, it, it even has effect on our mind um, in extreme cases. You remember a couple years ago, um, there were three Americans that were hiking, or uh, maybe an American, a couple of Brits, that were hiking uh, in northern Iraq, and they accidentally ventured into Iran. And they were then captured by the Iranian police and put in prison. And uh, um, it was, uh, what was her name? Uh, Sarah. Uh, Sarah Shured, who spent two months in solitary confinement. And she said during the course of that 10,000 hours of being isolated from others that she started to hallucinate. That she would see people. That she would see things. And she'd turn around in her cell. I mean, logically, you know, if people come in, it's not a big cell. There's only one way to get in and out. But she would still start to see people around her. And one time that she, she was hearing somebody scream and she was running around in her cell wondering who is screaming. And finally a guard came in to figure out what was going on, grabbed her by the face, and then she realized as he took her, hand, his, her face in his hands that the person screaming was herself. Now, being alone, isolated, and even affected the mind. I mean, it is the way that we're created that we need one another. It is about working together that God has created us to do so. Like, like Helen was saying, though, different people, different gifts and abilities, different pieces of the puzzle that God has called us to work together. Now, know this, working together, being in relationship with one another is not easy. It gets messy. Yeah, case in point. When your teacher said, or your boss said, all right, we've got a group project. Well, it's your response. Uh, yeah, I just want to do it myself. You know, if my pay or my grade, it depends on it. Let me do it myself. Then I, I can do it. It's... That's what Ecclesiastes is saying is meaningless. Just go and do it yourself instead of working together. African proverb, one of my favorite. You've heard me say it before and you'll hear me say it again. If you want to go fast, go alone. If you want to go far, go together. And that's what Ecclesiastes sees is Meaningful. That, that really, the relationships that we're building and developing in Christ, they are the goal. And whatever the goal is that we're set to do is important and it's good. But one of the goals, whatever it is we're seeking to accomplish, is to use that as a vehicle for building relationships, working together in Christ. That's why Jesus sent out his workers two by two. Yeah, he, he, he had 72 folks, sent them out two by two. Could have covered a whole lot more land, mathematically, if you'd sent them out individually. He must have known something. That it wasn't going to work, sending out 70 by themselves. He needed to send them out 
two by two. It's one of the reasons that, that God calls, when He calls individuals like Abraham or Moses, the reason that He calls them, the reason that He came down uh, in, in Jesus was in order to call a people. To, to form a people. That, that, that's why He created us to be in families. Because we need that kind of community. That's why He calls us as a church, as a community together. As a family, as, as a team. Because He knows this is the way, as we work together, that one, we will demonstrate to the world His miraculous love. Because we've all been in class and group projects are the worst. And they're able to do a group project together. And he also knows that that's the way we, in our relationship with each other, challenge, encourage, help, and support one another to mature in Christ. Because that's the ultimate goal. Alright, so Ecclesiastes then, he, he sees, here, here are some th- ways that he sees this positively. In, in verse 10 says, for if they fall, one will lift up the other. But woe to one who is alone and falls and does not have another to help. You know, if only Aaron had read that one before he went hiking in Blue John Canyon that day. That we, we need one another because we're going to fall. And we need each other to help one another get up. That, that's physical. That's also spiritual. Yeah, I need you when I wrong you. You know, I know in my head that that God forgives me, and I can receive that and accept that, but I need you to forgive me also. I need I need you to embrace me when I've wronged you. Because that's I think that's part of making that move from that, that huge jump, you know, from the head to the heart. We, we need each other. There's a reason that James says, confess your sins to one another. And that that brings even physical healing. Because when we fall, we're there to help one another. So I, one of my uh, favorite parts of, of Sunday morning is the confession and forgiveness and then passing of the peace. And all of that together, because you know we don't we don't pass the peace just to have a time of chaos so that the children can go to children and worship and we don't notice it. That's that's not the real reason that we do that. It just so happens it's a nice little side benefit, and it's not just so that we appear nice. It's because we want to mirror in our time together what is necessary. To grow in Christ. We are physical beings. And we need physical touch. The peace of Christ. With a handshake. Or an embrace. Or a hand to the shoulder. That's. What we need to make that move. From the head. To the heart. Verse 11. Not only did we pick one another up. But we provide life. To one another. Again, if two lie together, they keep warm. But how can one keep warm alone? You know, and you know, we, we live in such a hyper-sexualized world that our, our minds, probably, or maybe I'm just confessing here, you know, my mind you know, goes to cuddling or spooning. You know, that's not what he's talking about. 
He's not, not talking about that, that kind of touch. Not talking anything about sexuality. He's talking about life. I mean, on the, the Palestinian plain, on a winter's night, if you don't share one another's body's heat, eat one, another bo- one another's body heat, then you're going to die. Or at least lose some fingers to frostbite. I mean, that, that's what he's, he's talking about. In we, we have this sharing, even of body heat, with one another in order to survive, in order to bring life. Yeah, no snuggling right now. It's hot enough in here. Now you can fan one another. You know, and uh, as Helen was saying too, you know, we provide life because we provide different elements to, to one another. Not just sharing body heat, but sharing wisdom or experience or insight. You know, just like Lewis and Clark and Sacagawea. Or in, in my household, you know, they're... Two parents and three, three children. And one of the, the parents has a really good fashion sense. You know? And, and so it's really good that she's part of the family for the kids to get that fashion sense. And, and one of the parents enjoys calculus. And the other doesn't. So it's really good that, he, that I'm there in order to help the kids when they go through calculus. Part of our journey that we share, provide life and insight, wisdom. One of the the, the proverbs, uh, and there's a couple of proverbs that say this: uh, without con- consultation, plans are frustrated, but with many counselors, they succeed. And in our life together, we get wisdom and insight and experience from one another, from variety of people. We provide life to one another. You also see that we, we protect one another. In verse 12, And though one might prevail against another, two will withstand one. Now we, we protect one another on this journey of life, physically and spiritually. You know, we are on a journey where we are facing evil and fighting evil, fighting the devil, fighting the, the ways of the world, fighting the selfishness within us. And we need each other to protect on that journey. We, we need one another. Um, and at weddings, I mentioned this before, and you come to any wedding, I, I do this every time now. When the, the bride and groom are up here, I'll step away from them and talk to the people that are gathered and said, you know, I'm glad you're here. The family's glad you're here. You know, there's free food and maybe an open bar afterwards. And I know you're excited about all of that. But that's not why you're here. You're here because you are now the community that's going to surround these two to fulfill the promises that they're making to love and cherish one another till death do them part. That is why folks come to weddings. Because they're agreeing to be a part of that community that's going to encourage, challenge, and correct when necessary. That's, that's what a, a community is. That we protect one another. Even from the times that we don't see the evil that we're in, or the times that the temptation has overtaken us. We need one another to grab us by the scruff of our neck or by our hair or hand or whatever it is. Hey, out of that. That's evil and that's going to mess you up. You're playing with the devil, not Jesus. We, we need that kind of protection physically and spiritually. 
And then finally, at the end of verse 12, it says, And a threefold cord is not quickly broken. You know, that we, we persevere together. We endure together. We help one another in this battle against evil. Remember when, when, when Jesus was talking to Peter, you know, and he, he told Peter, you know, upon this rock I will build my church, you know, my, my people. The church is not a building. Church is a collection of people that he's called out. So I'm going to build my church, Jesus says, my people, my, my team, my family, and they together, the gates of hell will not prevail against them. So, so we are in this because we protect one another, we persevere with one another, we pick one another up on the journey, we even provide life for one another. For us, particularly as a church, as we're um, seeking to, to grow, as the first century church did, to, to multiply you know, in, in both evangelism and discipleship, to share Christ with those who are outside the church, you know, to, to share Christ with those that are inside the church, to, to help one another along the, the journey, to encourage, support one another. We, that, that's how Jesus designed it in our relationships um, with um, each other. And on this journey, we can't go alone. We must go with one another. We, we can't go alone, and we don't allow others to go alone. So I lay it before you now to consider, you know, who are the people that are pouring into your life? Who are the the people that are um, on this journey with you, but they're the ones that have more experience or or wisdom or insight, and they're pouring into you? If it's just one, give thanks to God for those people. Throughout your whole life, you might have a whole lineup of folks that God's put in your life. And the flip side, who are the people that you're pouring into? Who are the folks, one or two folks that, that God has crossed your path so that you can pour into them, you can share with them your insight, your, your experience, how Christ has impacted your life. It's part of going together on this journey of maturing and growing, sharing Him with others. And we, we as a church, man, we are, have a great situation at hand. I mean, we are, God has put us in a place where you know, we have all kinds of folks that we can pour into and walk with. You know, we had big, uh, you know, camp a couple of weeks ago. Eighty children went on this. And on that particular camp, there were three adult males over the age of 18, and I think four females over the age of 18. Not a good ratio. But it's a wonderful situation. 40, I think around 40, maybe a little less than 40, 35 to 40, were folks that were not part of a church. 
They, they, they don't even know what it means to, to follow Jesus and what it means to know him. I mean, you see what I'm saying when like God has just plopped that in front of us? What a wonderful opportunity. Yet, what we need, and maybe God is going to lay upon you, for you or maybe even the person next to you, lay before you that God's calling you to pour yourself into some of those children. Whether it's at camp next summer, I think it's the first week in July. You can go ahead and put it on your um, uh, Outlook calendar. Um, Or maybe it's a a FX night that happens once a month. Or or maybe it's a Mega Blast that happens two two Tuesday nights a month. Or ways. And, And again, the key thing here, this is not about the programs. Not about camp or uh, mega blast or, or crash or any of that. This is, those are just vehicles for the relationships. To simply walk with a couple children who are in dire need of an adult who will pour into them the insight, wisdom, and love of Christ on this journey uh, together. So who are the folks that have poured into you? Give thanks to God for them. And maybe even, if you think about it, jot them a note telling them thanks. And who are the folks that God is saying, now you go pour into them. To be intentional about the understanding of this, this journey that we're on and that we can't go alone. All right, I got one closing video for you. And this, this is about the Rosetto Effect. And Rosetto was a little town in Pennsylvania. And uh, it talks about how community um, wasn't just life-changing, but life-giving for this little Italian immigrant village in the, right in the east-central part of the Pennsylvania-Delaware um, border, the Ro- Rosetta effect. In the 1960s, a U.S. town called Rosetto was an anomaly in America. No one under 55 had died of a heart attack or showed any signs of heart disease. The local death rate for men over 65 was half the national average. A team of researchers led by Dr. Stuart Wolfe considered whether this was because of their diet, location, family history or exercise habits, but on the surface, nothing was different from the rest of America. In fact, the town was made up of Italian immigrants who worked in quarries and factories, smoked unfiltered cigars and had dinner tables laden with rich Italian food. Rosettans of the 1960s still held on to their old world ways. It was normal to find three generations under the same roof. 80% of men in the town were members of at least one community group. They would gather in each other's kitchens, play cards and simply talk. The conclusion? Rosettans were nourished by each other. Over the next decade, the multi-generational homes broke up. And by 1971, when opulent houses, expensive cars and swimming pools appeared, the first person under the age of 55 died of a heart attack. By the 1980s, the rate of fatal heart attacks in Rosetto was the same as the rest of the country. Many people don't have a 
an extended family that they see regularly. They don't have two or three generations of people who live in the neighborhood together. They don't have a church or synagogue they go to regularly. They don't have a job that they've been at for many years. And we all know that these things affect the quality of our lives, but they actually affect our survival and to a much larger degree than we had once realized. And so what we learned is that it's not enough to focus on the behavior. It's not enough just to give people information. We have to work at this deeper level. You know, the number one most commonly prescribed prescription drugs in the U.S. and probably most of the world have been antidepressants for the last 10 years because there are a lot of depressed people out there. Now, a skeptic might say, oh, come on, give me a break. You mean sitting around talking about my feelings, you know, is somehow going to help me live longer if I've got cancer? Please. It's so easy to make fun of these ideas. Oh, these are, you know, we're just so touchy-feely, you know. And But we are touchy-feely creatures. We are creatures of community. That's how we've survived as a species is by learning how to care and love and nurture each other. And we ignore those ideas at our own peril.